There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right? You can do it! Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. When you think about running through the tea at Nayland Stadium for the first time this Saturday, does that give you a little bit of chicken skin? A little bit of what? A chicken skin, you know. You know what I'm making reference to when I say chicken skin? You're a southern boy. I ain't got no idea. Punched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening. Brunch time. Lunch time. Open date. Bye week in Tennessee time. Which means no football time in Tennessee this week time. That's okay. We're professionals. We'll keep working for you time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. Probably going to drop it for you on a Wednesday morning. Reason being Thursday this week is basketball preseason media day. And Tennessee might not suck at that, so we are going to have a good time talking about that. Uh, we'll have a, another podcast. I think the what's normally the Friday football podcast will probably be a Friday hoops podcast this week. So we'll we'll bring you some uh, some open date action. Do do a little uh, recap of Georgia while it's still a little bit fresh. Action got a lot to talk about on this show today, and here's what we did. You know it's going to be a good podcast when we're getting ready to hit the record button and someone says, so what are we doing this week? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Wes doesn't have the legal pad. Yeah. I have, in the background. I have no, I'm just smacking my headphone case against the table here. There is no yellow legal pad. It's actually right there in front of Patrick. You know what that means? This one is going to get off the rails pretty quickly. Yeah. So what is the deal with airline food? No, I'm just kidding. We won't go there. But we will have a lot of football to talk about because Tennessee for, I don't know, maybe 12, 15 minutes of that football game on Saturday. Played maybe its best football of the season. That That's the good news. Uh, the bad news is that it's a 60-minute uh, football game, and Georgia, while not being on Alabama's level right now, I don't think is uh, is still a pretty good team. And that was that was enough to beat Tennessee 38-12. to The Vols, as they always do, got themselves behind the eight ball. This team has just not been a quick starting team. It fell behind 24 to nothing, bounced back for a couple of touchdowns. Interesting decision to go for two on the second one. Did not did not make that one. And then Georgia uh, picked up a couple third downs on that on the next drive there and, and really kind of put the game away. And then there was a fumble and a touchdown that was really inconsequential. The game was over at that point. But really, when Tennessee got those two touchdowns, and then at that point, you're you're close. You're within a couple scores. Georgia immediately gets to third down on its next drive. And you could feel some uneasiness in Sanford Stadium. Georgia knew in that minute, and maybe a little bit before that, but really in that moment, you could tell that everyone in the stadium knew, okay, this is actually kind of a game now. Yeah, if Tennessee had gotten a three and out there, the game was on. Yeah, they had some momentum at that point, and they clearly were able to start blocking Georgia. Uh, Garantano was able to complete a few more passes downfield, get some things. Ty Chandler made a big play. They were able they to got some penalty help too. Yeah, they did. They did. They got a they got a couple of dumb decisions by Georgia that really helped Tennessee out in that situation. But I, I think, and, and I wrote a column about this after the game, so I I I guess I'm partial to this side of the opinion or this side of the debate, but. I heard people, fellow reporters, after the game, sort of lamenting the fact that this is what Tennessee has come to. It plays a few good minutes in, in a 26-point loss on the road, and it says, oh, this was a pretty good pretty good day. And, and, and I'm thinking, no, th- that is a pretty good day for Tennessee. That, that is the way you judge this team. Is it getting better as the season progresses? That is the only thing that matters. If we're sitting here in two years talking about a team that's still 
going to have to fight, scratch, to claw to get to a bowl game. To cover a 30-point spread against yeah, Georgia. Yeah, if we're talking about this in two years, then Pruitt is going – Jeremy Pruitt, Tennessee's football coach, uh, is either going to be on a hot seat or he's going to try to get the hell out himself because he's never lost in his career and he doesn't know how to process it. So the, if we're still having this conversation in two years, that's one thing. But people have been saying this all year. Look at what this staff inherited. It inherited the worst – team in program history with a few good underclassmen who did go to the draft early and are on NFL rosters now and it had to do a new offensive scheme a new defensive scheme uh, that these players had not been recruited to and these players went 0-8 in the SEC last season so what in the flip were these people expecting the only thing that matters I think does this team get better as the season progresses? And do you see this team identifying needs on the recruiting trail and getting those kinds of players? And I think right now, at least on both of those fronts, there's more positive than negative. But I, I might be crazy. Well, I, I think um, – I, I hate to say this because to go all Harm Edwards, I mean, you play to win the game. Mm-hmm. These next three games after the Florida game, Florida was, the big, was sort of the big opportunity. Yes. Um, but these next three games, it was almost like, don't worry about the scoreboard, worry more about the performance. Does Tennessee show that it's playing better? Does Tennessee show that it can, when it does things right, and maybe catches a break here and there, um, Does it? can it compete with some of these good teams? Because that shows that if you've got a coaching staff that's got the ability to get take a less talented team and have it in position to hang with a team like that, and and you you touched on it, Wes. I mean, Tennessee put some game pressure on Georgia. Georgia had to go; mm-hmm. they had to go shut the door um, early in the fourth quarter after the second touchdown. So, and going into the game, if you had told me that was going to be the case, I would have said, well, that, first of all, I would have been surprised. Second of all, I would have said that's probably a good sign that Tennessee looked better. Um, and, and certainly, there's still a lot of holes on this team. They're still sort of uh, that game was definitely a a knife to a gunfight kind of thing. Because uh, Georgia is, is supremely talented, uh, and you're only going to close that gap through recruiting. But uh, defensively, I think the game plan was solid, and offensively, they're still a mess. But they were able to still generate some some big plays when they uh, had some opportunities. But um, I, I don't know how you can look at their other two 26 point losses and the performances in those games and say that this one wasn't better. It was better, and that's what that's what matters. And um, I, I think if you're Tennessee and you're trying to be optimistic about the rest of the season. I think you can say that, you know, you can hope that this coaching staff will say to the players, hey, this is what we're capable of. We can go out here and play with these teams because we got a few more of them on the schedule. We can go out there and play with these guys if we do what we're supposed to do. And that's what that's Pruitt's thing. That's what it's been the whole season is it's about what we do. It's about what we can control. It's about how we play and how we execute. And um, Pruitt and the staff can say, hey, and they can continue to point to examples, particularly the Georgia game of, hey, when we execute and do what we're supposed to do, we can have success against really good teams, against the best team in this division. Uh, and when we don't, it's going to be bad. So that's something that obviously they need to to kind of hammer out this week before they go uh, to Auburn and then play Alabama. Here, here's what I really like. Georgia got a really big break early in that game. On the most – I mean, four fumbles and you don't recover any of them. That's, that's – yeah. That's luck. That, I mean, that, I mean, we, we talked about this a couple of years ago when Tennessee was fumbling every which way and recovering all of them. Yep. Well, that's Ten- luck. Jeremy Pruitt addressed that in, in a different way, though. I mean, you can look at it one hand, on one hand, you're not getting any bounces. He said, well, I'd say to that, we need to have more guys around the football. Well, that's true. But, well, I mean, a fumble is a 50-50 thing, just about. I mean, it is, but the, the Nauta play, for instance. That was fluky. There was nobody around, really, to pick up that and one. And the ball yeah, bounced one but, time and right but, into yeah, Nauta's but, hands. Yeah, here, here's what I'm saying on that play. Daryl Taylor races around the end, uh, the tight end, Nada, and just pokes the ball out, does a picture-perfect defensive play. The ball just so happened to bounce. Because this thing, you know, we've said this several times, it's not a round ball. It You don't know where it's going to bounce. So it just so happened to hit flush where it bounced right back up. I mean, straight up. Like, it didn't sway much at all. Goes right back into the arms of Nada. And because that route had been run the way uh, Georgia's route tree on that play, had taken a lot of people over to the other side of the field, and it just so happens that the ball goes right into Nada's hands and there's not many people over there. Then there was a block in the back that wasn't called. We can talk about that stuff all day long, and it's true. It is. There, there, that was a clear block in the back, and it was not called. But the bottom line is 
here's what I'm talking about. Tennessee, if you look at the, the box score of this game, just look at the box score. You can see that Georgia did very clearly outgain Tennessee. This was not a, a flukish performance. Georgia had 441 yards of offense. Tennessee had 209 yards of offense. You cannot say that the score was not indicative of the game because it kind of was. You know, Tennessee was the underdog, and it got played around like an underdog, and it, it made a couple plays and got into making the thing almost interesting, but it, it didn't turn out that way. But what I really like is this. We all know what Georgia can do in the rushing game, right? We all know what it can do. And it did have a pretty decent day. The longest run from scrimmage that Georgia had all day long was that fumble return. That fumble recovery was the only play. That fumble recovery was the only play of the game that game for Georgia on the ground that gained more than 16 yards. Tennessee did not allow splash plays in the running game. Then you look at the passing game. We all know that Georgia's got a couple of really good wide receivers. They're maybe not elite in that area, but they're good. They have guys who can burn you and guys who are big, strong guys and quick, small guys. They've really, got options. Really talented guys that they probably just haven't taken advantage yeah. of enough because they like to run the ball. And the longest pass play for Georgia all day long, 23 yards. Tennessee had the two longest passing plays of the day, and Tennessee's Ty Chandler had the longest rushing play of the day so that tells me and again this is just me thinking out loud here but I think that shows pretty clearly that Tennessee's defensive game plan was good mm-hmm. well I mean and, and even bigger than that this was the first time this season Georgia hadn't scored 40 and the only reason they scored 38 is because again because of a late cosmetic score after a fumble I think Tennessee on, on the when, when Jeremy Banks fumbled I think Tennessee was just gonna run the clock out I think they were just going to run yeah. it and get out of there. Cause, if they could have gotten a late touchdown uh, and, and cut it to 12, what a, what a win that would have been seen as, huh? And if, if that first – 31-19, you know? In that first play, people – But there was still only like two minutes left. I don't, it, yeah, you know, unlikely, you, They didn't come out gunning it on first down yeah. like you would have needed to. But um, – and this was the first time that, that Jake Fromm has not thrown a touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. And I think Tennessee had him a little off his game there. I think they were giving him some different looks. They got some uh, pressure on him. They got some pressure on him. They hit him on the first play of the game. Well, people forget that uh-huh. that play, that third down r- r- fumble, Ruski touchdown, that was a third and long play, and that sack was going to put Georgia at the 40-yard line. So it was going to have a fourth and long, probably fourth and 20 or so from the 40-yard line. Now you do have Blankenship, and so you can probably go kick a 57-yard field goal, and, and he has a chance to go make that. But the worst-case scenario, because you're not going for it on fourth and that long. There's no reason to. You're punting it or you're kicking a field goal. So ten, that right there was four to seven points right there in that swing, right there, easily. And then the last play, the touchdown, that also took some off. That's another seven points. So right there, off the bat, you're looking at anywhere from 10 to 14 points right there. So I I think that – I guess the the really meandering, stupidly long way I was trying to say this, and I took too long to build up to it, was that I think Tennessee, the coaching in this game, was fine. And I think Georgia made some plays because it had better athletes. Well, and, and I think we saw Tennessee sort of adjust a little bit because on the first drive, Georgia had a couple of runs right up, the, right up the middle, right over the guards. Yep. Uh, I think one of their longest runs was a 13-yarder on that drive. And then really after that, they didn't run as much inside. They had to do a lot of their running outside. They had a couple of misdirection plays uh, that worked, including a, a fourth down that they had uh, just before halftime. And then Justin Fields, I, that was the biggest issue with, the defensive game plan to me is that it looked like Tennessee didn't – I don't want to say they weren't prepared for for the fields factor, but uh, when he's in the game, you got to think he's not throwing the ball. They had no answer for that. I mean, and, and, and so they should have had more guys in the box and said, hey, if this freshman can make a throw, you know, we'll, we'll take it. We'll, we'll take that medicine. But uh, they didn't seem to, to, to defend the quarterback runs really well. And, and you look back at it, excluding the, the, the fluke touchdown – uh, I think Georgia had seven plays, seven runs of, of ten or more yards, and Fields had four of them. So uh, I didn't think that was that was maybe the one complaint I had with the defensive game plan. Offensively, though, I don't I don't know what their game plan was, and that's that's an issue. That um, that's what I was going to get to. I was going really, to say nice things about the defense at first, and then bleed it, into that. But we we thought it this offense was like looking more like Tyson Helton said it was going to look uh, against CTSU and UTEP, and maybe that's because those are those teams. But um, these last two games, it's been like what. What are they trying to accomplish? And I think this game they looked even more disjointed because you had you in the past you've been committed to the run. In this game they didn't even stick with that. I think the biggest the biggest game uh, for a running or the the biggest workload a running back got in this game was six carries. I think. Well, and and it seemed like they were doing a lot more quick passes because yeah. they didn't trust the offensive line. 
Which um, isn't a bad idea going no, forward. It's just not something we've and, seen. And we still don't see a lot of, I don't want to say wrinkles. I don't know. They, they don't seem to do anything out of what we've seen them do already. And so this would be a good time this week, obviously, to, to start maybe adding some stuff and, and use some stuff you haven't seen before because you're going to need some splash plays and you're going to need some – you might have to – trick your way into some big plays to get you in scoring position against Auburn because that defense is I think de- I think Auburn's defense is better than Georgia's. Um but this offense just it we the defensive line is I don't for know sure. what their I don't know what this offense's identity is. I just well, I, I think, don't know what it is. I didn't know what their game plan was. I don't know if you ask if you're trying to, you know, quality control and, and self scout your team during this open date and you look at this offense, what do they do well? If you're if you're a fan and you've been screaming a couple of different things, you were kind of vindicated Saturday because I've heard a lot of people say, why don't they throw the ball more slash throw it downfield more? You saw that pay off with a touchdown pass on a really nice throw to Josh Palmer. But that the, the scheme, they did that double switch. like the, They flipped the alignment there before yep. that snap, and, and Georgia was confused, and Georgia had a linebacker matched up on Palmer, sure. and that's not a good matchup but for Georgia. Was, but so, it was still so a they, nice they, throw. They schemed every, that up yeah. and did it. And it was a nice throw and everything. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you do wonder that because this team's best offensive players, I still think, are at wide receiver. I think that's the biggest strength this this team has, or maybe running back even. Well, well your your best running back is Ty Chandler, who yep. he can run it between the tackles, but he's best as a sort of a spread mm-hmm. offense guy. Yeah, I was, I was so gonna... you almost have to incorporate some of what you are trying, some of last year's scheme to get him in his best position. And the other, and that's that's sort of the thing with this staff to me is, are they trying to do ultimately what they want to do in the long run and sacrificing some success in the short term by mm-hmm. taking players that were recruited for a spread system and trying to make it fit or you know it's just it seems really disjointed and that's why I think this offense uh is so inconsistent because they have a good play and then they'll have a bad play and the other thing every, is, and every time they do something good it's like well you know something bad is is ha- gonna happen they had a third down conversion uh, I think in the third quarter maybe second quarter uh on Saturday and they try to go up tempo mm-hmm. Drew Richmond jumps it's the second straight game that's happened it's like like, what do you want to be? That's the that's sort of the, the question that, that I find myself asking with this offense right now. Well, and, and the other thing I was going to say that you've probably been calling for, or a lot of fans, I think, have been calling for downfield passing, as I mentioned before. And then the other was get the ball to Ty Chandler in space, figure out ways to get it to him creatively. They put him outside as a as got him in kind of the slot, threw an out route to him at one point, and it worked. And they threw a, uh, a very short swing pass to him that turns into a 30, 35 or 37 yard touchdown. Well, so that's Yeah, one thing about that touchdown is that I, I think I've gone back and watched that play and uh that was a really I don't know if it was the adjustment to a blitz that they called that quick route, but but the 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 star of that play, Chandler made the play, but if you go back and watch it, that was one hell of a block by Dominic Wood Anderson yeah. and he covered a lot of ground in a quick amount of time and he threw that block that got Chandler to the second level and that without that 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 play doesn't happen. So that was brilliant execution all the way around on that play. That uh, was that was big time. I thought this game on about three plays in particular, one that was just a basic run for about five or seven yards where Chandler turned the corner and try and turned up the sideline and he didn't have much, but his speed created a decent gain on that play. That combined with the out that they threw to Chandler and the swing pass, I thought were the three that showed Tennessee's got to get the ball in his hands more. Well, I, there there was a play too where um, I think it was after the fall start where they. They got him on the edge, running the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had one guy. He had the safety to beat, yep. and he might still be running. And safety gets him down by a shoestring tackle. That's those are the plays that this team has to make. That's that's we talk about some of your your better players not playing well. That's a situation where one of your best players has to make that guy miss and, and, and get a big play. But I, know, I think you're right. I mean, it's they need to get him the ball more. I think they need to get some of these receivers more involved because uh, I think they like some of the matchups that those guys can can generate. I mean. Uh, I mean, Callaway's sort of a 50-50 ball guy, but how many times have they targeted Juwan Jennings and, and has, has he not come up with the catch? I mean, he's he's usually open. Uh, he's not – he doesn't have the, the speed that he, I guess, used to have, and so he's less of a deep deep downfield threat. But I wonder if um, Jordan Murphy gets a chance to work his way in a little more during yeah, the open sort of, game. I was going to make that point he's at some point. Disa- Jordan Murphy's a guy who I think needs to play a little he, bit. He's, he sort of disappeared over the last couple games uh, since ETSU. He's but someone who maybe could give you more speed, maybe. Potentially. Uh, I just I, I I don't know what they're they're trying to do, and let's let's be honest, they haven't gotten great play from the offensive line. The offensive yeah. line has been very poor in execution, and that makes everything uh, hard. And that makes it that does make everything difficult. Uh, I don't think they've gotten great play out of the tight ends either. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dominic Wood Anderson. I'm not saying he's a bust. I'm not doing that, but 
Um, he's still sort of adjusting to playing at this level. It's a complicated position. Um, he's been yeah, doing it for two years. And it is. And and, and he's still new to it, and, and he's going to get better. But uh, And they obviously think highly of him because he's, I think, one of their top three or four guys in targets. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But he's, he's had some issues – yeah, uh, as I, the running backs have and the tight ends have, and, and pass protection too. So, well, and Patrick, to your point on what do they want to be? You open the game with a beautifully executed what seventeen yard run by Chandler on the first offensive play, mm-hmm. and after that, Ty Chandler gets five carries the rest of the game. For well, they only had forty six plays. So they it's did not like they they were. did, but it's it was just interesting to me that you you hit something early and then it seemed like they kind of gave up on the run early after just a you know five or six or seven plays where Georgia slowed them down. They, they've kind of stuck with it in past weeks, and this week I thought they, well, they maybe they, justifiably went away from it. They're chasing games, and that, yeah. that makes it hard. It I, I think I, I'm going to say this. I, when I watch their offense, the overarching kind of theme, I guess you would call it, or the thing that I see more than anything, the bottom line, is that they are still learning what they have on this team. And I think when you play as inconsistently as they're playing on offense, uh, up front anyway, you – it's really hard. Like we 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 have to figure out how how good of a passer Garantano is. But if he's running around for his life every time he goes back there, you can't see how much he's developed as a passer. Now you can see maybe he learns how to have more instinct in the pocket and do some other things with timing, but you can't really see a passer develop when he's under duress every time he drops back. You saw in this game that when they protected him a little bit, he made some good decisions. Now there's other times where he sees guys too late. Even I mean the Palmer one, he almost didn't see it. And it seems that it's still an issue for him to get past the second progression or so yeah. on a typical pass play. And there are guys that he just needs to see that he doesn't see right now. Yeah. But but I'm not. Uh, here's why I'm not hitting the panic button yet. They're learning what they have, and this is Tyson Helton. I mean, if this team were competing for championships right now and he got off to kind of a slow start offensively, I would say, okay, that's that's trouble. They need to figure th- – this is his fifth game, and they're rebuilding everything they're doing. I'm not yet hitting the panic button, and the reason is for that. And I also – I see when they – I can see two things during games. I can see that when they do make adjustments, they're making them pretty well, and they're figuring out what they need to figure out. Too late, but they're figuring it out. That's, that's big for me. And, and the other thing is I, I just think – that there are times in a game where you can see, to Patrick's point a little bit earlier, when they you could not possibly scheme something up better than the way they scheme it up, and just one guy whiffs on a block, or the guy doesn't make the one player miss that he needs to make miss to turn it into a 60-yard touchdown. You have to execute, and you need players to do that. And there are times in a game where either because it's new to them or they're just not as good athletically is the guys they're going against they're just not making plays but they are there to be made and I think this staff is finding those places I think this staff is finding those places more than people think it is I think when you watch the film you can see there are times where they're just not making the play but the play is there and the staff sees it so I'm not ready to sit here and say you know it's the offensive coordinator's fault Helton sucks yada 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 get him out of here I'm not seeing that at all, and I think I have a pretty long track record of saying, if something sucks, something sucks and needs to change. And well, I don't, I don't see that right now. I, if you're, if you're Tyson Helton, and you want to call what you want to call, you want to take deep, you you want to throw the ball down the field. You need time to do that. Given yes. how your pass protection looked against Florida, where you had multiple situations where you had seven guys blocking and less than seven guys were coming, and your quarterback still got splattered, like. That would give that would give me pause to call those plays. And if you know it, you have an offensive line that you know they want to be able to run the ball in any situation, they want to be able to run the ball when everyone in the stadium knows they're running the ball. Well, this offensive line has proven time and time again it cannot do that. Yeah, that I that's mean, the it, two it, things we that saw it against be... Florida and we saw it against Georgia. Um, they had two third and one situations early in the game. One they tried, they did throw something a little d- different in there. They had Jaquane Cowboy Collar Blakely in there as sort of a fullback. They lined Madre London up as the fullback in the eye and gave him the ball and he ran into a wall yep. and, and didn't get the first down. And so on it the was next clearly on the, a dive play and there just yeah, wasn't on the a next hole there. Third and one Helton clearly shows that he does not believe his offensive line can get a push for a yard. And so yep. he throws a pass and calls for a pass. It's open. It's one of those plays that you talked about West, where it's a good call. The fullback's open in the flat for a first down and, and Garantano just puts too much on it and, and Pope can't Austin Pope can't make the catch. So um, again, if you're, you know, you, you see, you watch the film and you see play where 
Jameer Johnson's pulling and he runs by, right past two Georgia guys who hit Ty Chandler as soon as he gets the ball. It's just like you have a you know you have a reverse early in the game where Trey Smith doesn't block anybody like he's supposed to, and it's just you you see those guys make those mistakes and those execution errors up front, and then you add in that you know you can maybe question the talent level a little bit too, uh, and even even with Trey Smith, he's he's not 100. percent He's not close to 100. Um, percent You get these issues up front, and that that would make you some of the things that you want to do as a play caller, some of the plays that you want to do, you just – you can't. And, of course, you know, as a coaching staff, you're going to run what your players can do during the week. I don't know if they're just not picking up stuff. I don't know if they're having execution issues in practice that are maybe limiting how much they're doing. But uh, I don't want to say it's been vanilla, but there hasn't – we haven't seen Tennessee do a whole bunch of different stuff. They seem to kind of stick to the same sort of script. And maybe after a few games, that's going to get predictable, especially uh, in this league when you've got the caliber of coaching that you have. Well, yeah. and I think the two things that really bother me are the the short yardage offense. You just – you have to I – don't, I don't care if you're outmanned a little bit. You have got to be able – what's the point of getting yourself in third and short? It's almost like this offense would be better if it was in third and medium sometimes. So just chuck the ball around because if you – what's the point of staying on schedule if you're not going to convert those third downs? That's That's, that, that's one thing that really bothers me. Uh, and I think that's one thing if they self-scout, they really need to look at that and say, listen, how much better can this team get in short yardage? And if it can't, then just stay in third and medium well, they and were, that, that's fine. They were, what, 8 of 18 on third down against Florida. They were pretty decent. It's just – yeah, bad you're, and short yardage, yeah. and, and that's that's one thing that bothers me. And the other thing that bothers me is something that Ryan alluded to a little bit, and I I do know they only got forty six plays, and I do know that Ty Chandler got more touches than anyone on the offense. I'm going to say this very clearly: it is still not enough. This team, I, if you go back and watch Ty Chandler, even on those runs where he was just kind of being a, the regular kind of tailback, making a, you know, trying to make a guy miss and then plowing forward. Watch him finish those runs. He can be a physical player. I don't know if he can get 30 touches in a game every week and be okay because he's not physically humongous. He can take 15. But he can, he can lower his shoulder and get yardage, fall forward when he needs to because I've seen him do it. He finishes his runs with anger, and that's a good thing to see. And he just – if you don't have a lot of playmakers – like a big time, big time. Like you got guys who can make plays against UTEP. Okay. You got guys who can make plays against ETSU. You're going to be playing SEC teams the rest of the way, except for Charlotte. You need guys who can make plays against good teams. And they don't have a ton of those guys right now. They've got some in the receiver core, but they ha- they're having a hard time blocking enough to get them the ball downfield. But one thing they absolutely can change and absolutely have to change. Ty Chandler has got to touch the ball more. If he's healthy and he has a single digit touch game, then there's a problem. That just should not happen. They need to look at that and they need to say, eight needs the ball, eight needs the ball, eight needs the ball. Lane Kiffin, that's one thing Lane Kiffin really understood. And a lot of other coaches like Spurrier understand this. I'm going to see what I got on offense, and then I'm going to find two or three guys that I got, and they're my best guys. And we are never going to lose a game because those guys didn't touch the ball enough. That is never going to happen. It's about matchups. Just get a matchup, move the guy around, Get him the football. Mm-hmm. Look at the stuff that the Saints do with Kamara. They find every way imaginable to get him the ball. I was going to say, we're not Get a, him the ball. Get Chandler the ball. We're not at the Kamara level of malpractice by any means. No, gosh, Nothing no. close to that. But, gosh, yes, no. on a team that has very few above-average playmakers, Ty Chandler's one of them, and you've got to get him the ball as much as you can, I think. Um, and, and I get you've got a committee of backs. You've got to kind of rotate them in there. It's been a kind of offense where a different back has been good each week, so that makes it harder. But Chandler's the lead back. He started when he's been healthy, getting the ball more. Um, and, and those balls that Brandon Johnson's getting on those little screens yeah. and stuff like that, uh, those need to go to Jordan Murphy or Ty Chandler. They do doing, not need to go to Brandon Johnson. Yeah, those, he's a good player, I think a really underrated player, but that's not his game. They're not doing him any favors with those. And, and that's one of the surprising storylines to me is Brandon Johnson not being much of a factor in this offense the first five games of the season. I Last year, we saw him be so good in the slot on a lot of slants and drags and those kinds of routes, and this year, he, he's not getting those, so that's that's interesting. Uh, two things I think this offense has to figure out, and this open date will be a good chance for them to maybe, maybe self-scout a bit more, do a deep dive into some of this stuff, and figure out what they're doing going forward. One, who is... Who is in control of this offense and what other voices are involved? Because I think you've got three things in play. Ty, Tyson Helton being a first-time solely as the play caller. You don't know how much he's still adjusting. Yeah. Two, because he's been an offensive coordinator before, how much is Will Friend involved in the game planning? And then is his is his voice being heard on game days too? And we don't know all that. 
three, we heard Jeremy Pruitt mention earlier this season that he was still he still needed to figure out how to make his voice be heard on offense and how to how to help the team in some way when they're on offense. So is part of what we've seen the last two weeks, all of those things coming together, is that, you know, has Jeremy Pruitt at some point and in certain situations, you know, gotten more involved in the offense? Is Will Friend still heavily involved? And does the calculus there need to change at all? I think that's something that... Do you almost have a run game, pass game coordinator kind of thing yeah. going on or something like that? And, and if there's any confusion or, or if there are any differing takes on what they need to be doing, do they need to simplify things? Do they need to bring more voices into the mix? You know, what, what do they need to do? They've got to figure out, you're five games in now, you got to have a good idea of what's working and what's not. The other thing is what Patrick alluded to earlier. I think there's a fascinating discussion that, that I would hope they've had already among the coaches to be had on what this offense wants to do long-term versus what this offense might need to do to give, it's the be- give itself the best chance of winning a game this year. Yep. And More I, spread concepts. I was going to say, every time I see this offense run – five wide or four wide in a running back. I, I, I feel like this offense is executing better in those types of Garantano is more comfortable. there. Yeah. Because this, that's what this offense is used to doing. And it's, and, and it's, they've spent two years. Garantano spent two years in a system like that. Your receivers are used to playing in that. And it's just a little bit easier because you, you create more space for everybody. There's a reason less talented teams over the years now have gone to more spread systems because it's easier. You create space and you get more one-on-one matchups. So, does this team need to do more of that, more short passing and things like that to sort of open things up, or do they stick with what they have done so far and just try to get better at it because that's what they're going to do for better or worse? Well, to kind of spin this conversation for, um, you know, uh, open dates or, or times for teams to kind of go back to more spring and camp-like practices. So they're going to they're gonna do more, you know, what do they call it, two-spot, where they've got yep. three to four groups rolling at a time. And so there's chances for guys that maybe haven't been playing a lot to, um, to sort of show that they deserve playing time. They and, and Tennessee's stuck with pretty consistent rotations at the skill spots so far. I don't know that much is going to change there. Uh, the big question with me, I think Jeremy Banks d- should get more time, but I understand why he would not get more time because he keeps putting the ball on the ground. Uh, but I think yeah, he's he's it. I think he's the best maybe complement with. Uh, he and Chandler would with, make with him. Chandler. Yeah. London is he, he's a nice player, uh, but he, he's never going to be an explosive guy. Tim Jordan, I think, has got to stop freelancing so much. Yeah. He's, he's uh, when when you see situations where they're not he's, he gets too backs, excited. Yeah, he the, the running excited. backs aren't hitting the holes like they're supposed to, or they're trying to get yards on their own instead of going where the play's blocked. And Jordan seems to be the guy that's doing that the most. Um, at receiver, we'll see if Jordan Murphy can make a move. Uh, he's maybe the best guy there, but I'm interested to see what they do on the offensive line. I mean, uh, you can't really bring in anybody midseason. This isn't the NFL, so you kind of you're kind of nobody. Stuck with nobody's what you have. on waivers anywhere. But what's interesting to me is that they've shown signs of tinkering and maybe making a change, and yet they've stuck with the same offensive line for the past four games. Chance Hall's worked uh, his way into so the mix we, more. I wonder if Chance Hall. Uh, this is the window of time where they thought he might be able to uh, to be able to you know play 40, 50 snaps in a game. Karon Calvert's a guy that you know. Thought at one point last week, hey, this guy might start. He didn't play a snap. So we got to see if their tinkering during the week finally results in them making a change and if that makes any difference because they've kind of got what they've got. And uh, a lot of people wonder, well, this guy's not playing well. Why don't they replace him? Well, uh, Marcus Tatum got in the game on Saturday, and second play in, he gets beat for a sack when they Georgia just ran a simple twist, and his guy went inside, and, and Garantano had less than three seconds to even look downfield. So, yeah, yeah, there's a few. And, and so that's, that they don't have a lot of options. That's why they've kind of – Stuck with this five. This isn't their first five. Their first five included Brandon Kennedy, who's hurt. Um, and I think part of the reason that they've stuck with this five is they want this five to maybe gel a little bit. But they also don't really have a whole lot of options behind these guys, a whole it, lot of quality options, or, or those options would have emerged at this point. Well, and there, and there is a reason. Like you said, they are sticking with these five. I think one of the one of the best cases of that is Drew Richmond has been kind of the favorite whipping boy for a lot of fans because of penalties and, you know, a, a bad sack or something he's given up here and there. But when you go back and look – I. I'm actually impressed. You see him make some good blocks on a lot of plays. So he's he's kind of been feast or famine. But that's that's sort of what this offensive line has right now. Is you've got you got Trey Smith, who's been your best lineman in the past, but he hasn't been so far this season. Nope. And you've got Drew Richmond, who's been very good at times, but also very bad at times. And and you've got to stick with those types of guys, or you feel like you have to, especially that you don't have given you don't have a lot of it, great options there. And, and kind of going. In that same vein, switching back over to the defense, something that they did that I thought was interesting on, on Saturday was it looked like Baylen Buchanan was playing more inside. 
Uh, looks like he was playing more of the star. He's better position. there. Uh, he's better there. I think it gets both Alante Taylor and Bryce Thompson on the field. I don't know why they haven't just been throwing those guys out there and letting them sink or swim because they're clearly have bright futures. And I understand maybe why you don't because you don't want them to you know get beat a lot and their confidence gets shot before they even have a chance to start mm-hmm. developing. But uh, those guys are, are fearless. They're you know they're solid players. They're not perfect, um, but I think they need to let those guys run free. And it also lets Mike Mike Abernathy play more safety where he's maybe not asked to do as much in coverage where he's maybe a little bit more of a liability it is, in, terms yeah, it of, is in terms of defending. Abernathy gets better the closer you put him to the line scrimmage. Yeah, I, was well, say I just said the opposite of that. Right, so. I was going to say. Did you? I thought, I thought yeah, he, yeah. I, I, think he's, I think he's a little bit more of a liability in coverage. Oh, I meant more against like the run and stuff. Okay, never mind. See, I thought, I thought he, at, no, you're right. at nickel he had been grading out higher, I believe, on the pro football focus numbers and things like that. I thought he had anyway, but I thought in this game you maybe could get by with him at safety more because Georgia's more of a running team or or, or tries to be a lot of times, maybe that that could have played a role in it. But I don't know. Abernathy has his moments. He's been better this year. I think the staff has well, helped him. I, I think the other situation at safety is that he's a better option there than two of the younger guys they've got, right. and Theo Jackson and, and Trayvon Flowers. Who Flowers is going to be good, though. I think so, too, in the long run. But he's, 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 making, making, a lot, he's making a lot of mistakes right yeah. now. He, met, he had a big mistake on the Freddie Swain touchdown against Florida. Uh, one of Georgia's, I think, longest plays. He didn't rotate over. Uh, when Georgia, I think on their first drive of the second half, where they kind of do it, did an RPO, and it was uh, from hit somebody between the, the corner and the safety in the zone. And, and Flowers should have been rotating over that way before the snap to take that away. And so that was a mistake. Uh, he, he made a nice acrobatic play on the interception that didn't count. So you see some of the athletic ability he has. But uh, Theo Jackson had a tough game against Florida, too. So Maybe that gets your best five guys on the field where you're a little bit more solid at that other safety position. And they need to get Nigel Ward to play a little bit better, too. He, he needs to make interceptions when the ball hits him in the hands. And, and I'm interested to see what they do at linebacker because I thought Corte Sapp played decently well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought Darren Kirkland has continued to, to look like a guy that's been slowed and has had a lot of injuries. And as um, we saw, J.J. Peterson is coming back for the Alabama game, clearly. <laughs> clearly what he wrote. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, and, and, and Will Egnott, too. I think he's, he's not a guy you need to have in the game on third down. Yeah, Ignat, but he's a guy that against a running team, uh, maybe like an Auburn, mm-hmm. we'll have to see what his range is like getting sideline to sideline. But uh, for a game against a Georgia that runs the ball, and, you know, runs the ball in between the tackles a lot of a little bit. He he popped up a few times and made some plays in the hole. You want to hear my crazy suggestion? This is crazy. You're Free probably, JJ. No, no, it's not. It's it's not that crazy. And, and I've I've thought about this a little bit on the drive back because I was thinking about what Tennessee could do defensively in some situations because I was trying not to get car sick as Ramey was you know, driving like a billion miles an hour around curves in the middle of uh, the Georgia, uh, North Carolina wilderness on the highway was... While we were playing Pop Rocks to annoy you. Oh, God, was so bad. So bad. <laughs> if... Couldn't find any Beatles, though. I think... what Eagles, my bad. Yes, Eagles. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't whoa. confuse those, Wes. We'll fall oh. off the handle. The one thing... Maybe I meant to... My crazy them. suggestion is when they're in a base defense, I think I've seen enough from this guy physically that I think he could be adequate there. I think they could maybe in some base defense packages in order to get their best loving out there, I think they could maybe play Buchanan at safety. And I that, thought you were going to go Batuli at, at, in Congress. No, 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 no. I'm, I, I said I, I've seen – if you go watch, watch physically Buchanan when he has to make those running game tackles one-on-one. I mean, he's not going to pick that guy up and pile drive him, but he hits him low. He gets the guy on the ground. He does his job when he needs to there. And if you want to put your best 11 on the field – with some of the, the way the other guys are playing at safety and how much of a liability they can be in coverage. I think, to me, it reminds me of, of when Jonathan Hefney moved from corner to safety at Tennessee, and people said, he's too small, there's no way, uh, and he made it work. And that got their best loving on the field. And I keep thinking that that would let them play their two best corners, their wide corners, wide, and that would get them better against the pass in their base package. It's just a thought, and if it's something on a bio, you could maybe look at. Buchanan's a, a veteran. He could probably – you could you could give it a look back there and see how it went because I think Flowers is going to be good. Well, I think that thought is why they've had Sean Schamberger in there at safety, but he's another interesting, interesting storyline going into this open date. Where is he now? He wasn't on the travel roster for the Georgia game, and that's – Is he redshirting? Yeah, is I mean, he, he's played got in four, one foot out the door. He played, we don't know. He played in four games and suddenly didn't travel to Georgia. So did he is, get a stomach bug? We we haven't. We, yeah. we, we, we don't know. Is he know. back in the doghouse? As Pruitt sort of alluded to a couple yeah. weeks ago, saying that you know he's got to be more consistent and you know do a better job every day. 
So yeah, he's one that I think could give you that because he's a former corner, has good range back there. But and I think that's what they were hoping when they put him in safety. But so far, he hasn't done that, at least not consistently. And he's been used more on kick returns, frankly, than in the secondary. Yeah, the, there's some guys that 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 we need to that that we need to to think about where they're going to be in this second half. And these are guys who maybe could step up and help this team uh, a little bit more. And I think Patrick alluded to one that I was going to mention, especially against kind of wham offenses. I really like the way Will Ignat plays against the run. I like how physical he is. He plays with a nasty edge. I like that. And I think he and Batuli there against the the run, that gives you a couple pretty good thumpers. Uh, I think Jordan Murphy needs to figure – they need to figure out a way to get him on the field because it, you keep watching, and I've heard this about people who saw him in camp too, he's making plays. And this, this offense could use – he's the kind of wide receiver that this, this offense could use because maybe some of those reps that Bird's getting, if they, those go to Murphy, I think he can maybe make some plays with that. Cause but Bird's being used pretty much almost exclusively as a blocker. Like I don't even know if he yeah, had they, a target they, this year. They, they had, they had, he had one or two targets against Georgia. He did, yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, in general, he hasn't. And, and I think – that's a guy that could step up and help. Uh, I think a guy like um, Calvert will keep progressing. Here you, here you go, naming everybody. Yep. No, I'm, I'm just I'll thinking. I'll take half the roster for 500. I've mentioned three guys. And you were still going. You had other guys after Calvert. I, I'm my, talking... picks, my picks would be Calvert, and I'd also say Corte Sapp, too. Whatever happened at, at the Florida game, that seems to uh, – both sides seem to have kissed and made up and hugged it out. They and, need him on the field. Uh, and he's a guy that's got a lot of range, that they need his um, – his speed at li- at the linebacker position to to defend some of these outside runs because I think they struggled a little bit with that uh, against Georgia and a lot of that you know part of that's got to do with uh, you know the athletic disparity the talent disparity because uh, and that's why I think Tennessee missed a lot of tackles is because Georgia's got a lot of athletic players on offense but uh, Sapp's a guy I think and, and I think you make the case that both Ignat and Sapp right now are better options for them at linebacker than Darren Kirkland I think that's you. that's probably yeah, the reality at this point, yeah, at least absolutely. to me, my absolutely. Guys. I think Kirkland's had a couple of really nice games, and he also had a couple of games where he struggled. Yeah, he, he's hit and miss. Uh, I, I'll stick with linebacker, but I, I, I look at the edge rusher positions because they're so important in, in a three-four system. I, I wonder about getting DeAndre Johnson mixed in there a little bit more. You know, we've seen seen him some, but you know, Jonathan Kongbo's continued to not, not quite be the answer there. We saw what Daryl Taylor, what kind of impact he had on Saturday's game. If they can get something, anything going at that other outside linebacker spot when they're in those three, four packages, you know, how much of a difference could that make for this for this defense? So I, I look at DeAndre Johnson as maybe someone to um, to watch in the second half of the season to see if he can maybe be more of a more of a factor. Yeah, I think there are a few guys that that when you when you look at could they come up and help more, and, and I think that that Flowers is one that. Yeah. If you're not going to do my crazy idea and give Buchanan some looks at safety in the base, Flowers to me is a guy that when you watch on film, it's hard to hide the playmaking ability there. He has it. Now what he also does is, is he's raw and he goes the wrong way sometimes and he'll get his hips not squared in coverage and he'll get burnt because of that. There's a couple things that, that he's going to make some mistakes. But he is a guy – I think he and Calvert are guys – and Murphy, those are three guys that I'm looking at as the season progresses. Those are guys – if you're looking for – guys who can step up and help as the season progresses and as you you get to that point of the season where everybody who's been out there for a billion reps a game is getting tired and worn down and beaten up and you need some fresh faces to go in there and give you a, a boost I think those guys can do it and I think Banks can do it too for, if he can stop putting the ball on the ground yeah he's hurt himself with that for he drew a 15-yard penalty against Georgia, though. He, he was did. mixing it up. I mean, he's got juice. There's no doubt about that. Oh, there's there's a reason he's still getting playing time, and he had, what, five carries in that game Saturday, a game where, where not many backs got a lot of carries. He was the one that was right up there with Ty Chandler as most productive and and getting about the same number of touches in, in a game where they kind of spread the wealth. Uh, the, the other guy I look to, I, I just think he's the closest to being ready to help them right now, and if he can play on a more full-time basis, he really could be a difference maker, is Chance Hall. I think he is a... A big wild card potentially for that offensive line gives you a a legitimate option if he's ready to be something close to an every down player. Even if he's, you know, only able to play 60, 65 percent of a game, that would still be a big, big thing for this offense if they could get him in there more consistently. And there's two guys, two two veterans on this team who Here we go, we're naming everybody. No, 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 no. These are guys <laughs> these are guys I'm calling to the carpet, you fool. There there are a couple guys. <laughs> On this team, Can you who, translate that, please. What who that flat out need to play better? One of them 
Jonathan Kongbo either play better or just give those reps to Johnson because the film is not pretty there. He is just – he's getting blown off the ball some. He's not being active enough against – as a, a pass rusher. The clip Saturday where a tight end just trucked Just him. mashed him, and that, that can't happen. And, and the other one has been alluded to a little bit. Nigel Warrior, listen, you watch Nigel Warrior. When he's, when he's dialed in, he still hits like a missile. And he covers ground, and there's a lot of things that he can do. But right now, I don't know what it is, but he's just not making plays. And he's had a few balls hit his hands this season. I get that you play defense, not offense, but you still got to catch that ball. When you make that read, and he made a great read on that ball too, and he covered a lot of ground to get there. But what's the and, point and, of getting to the and, table if you're not going to eat? And Prude said, Prude said on his coaching show that's exactly where they, they wanted Fromm to throw that ball there. And for them to be in position to make that play, and, and you know and, what? Uh, and he spotted and he covered fifteen twenty yards in a hurry to get in there and make and get that position. But again, got to the table and and then spilled the food on himself and didn't eat. You got to go eat when you get there. You got to make the play. And, and I, I touched on this a couple weeks ago. Jeremy Pruitt addressed something that I think directly relates to this. He was one of the guys I first thought of him. Jeremy Pruitt said this: "You've got when you sign guys who aren't." making plays on defense and, and picking off balls on Friday nights, it's going to be hard for them to start doing that on Saturdays. Nigel Warrior's a guy who made a lot of tackles in high school, had a lot of athletic ability, didn't rack up interceptions. Now we're seeing in college, same kind of issue. I mean, that doesn't mean you don't coach them to make more plays, but he's just missed on so many opportunities. He just now. doesn't I mean, quite have the nose or the plug yeah. for it or doesn't. You just wonder. Something's missing. He's not Eric Berry in that way, and you, no. you just, you've got to wonder if the light's going to turn on for him in that, in that area, and they really need it to. Yeah, before we get out of here, last thing, guys, is have you seen anything in these first five games that changes your belief on, for good or for ill, that changes your belief on what this team can and will do this season? What what? Because I'll be honest, this team is almost exactly what I thought it would be. So for, for me, it, it, there have been a couple of positives and negatives. I think Daryl Taylor playing like he has now, if he can keep that up, hey, that gives you a dominant edge guy, and, and, and he's a good player, and, and that can help your defense a lot. But there are a couple things that they, that they struggle in that I just figured they would, and I still, I still see five and seven as, I don't want to say the, the very best this team can be because I think if everything goes right, it maybe could sneak in there and get six, but – I think that you're still looking at a five-win football team right now. Um, and, and if things go wrong, maybe even a four-win. Well, but but I, 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 that doesn't mean that I've lost any hope for the future. This is what I expected to see this season, and that doesn't rattle me in any way. Well, the, the last two weeks have reinforced to me that if this team doesn't screw itself a bunch of times, yep. it gives <laughs> itself a chance to, to compete against really good teams. And so mm-hmm. – uh, you know, you saw the difference in six turnovers and only one turnover. Six turnovers, they were out of the game pretty much in the second quarter. Uh, zero turnovers, you play solid, you don't give up a lot. You know, you don't give up big plays, keep everything in front of you, uh, make teams drive the ball on you. You can give yourself a chance to sort of be in the game in the fourth yeah, quarter. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard and as so, a defense to, to, get, to apply pressure, a lot of pressure. And also not turn the and also not give up a lot of big plays. Usually, if you're going to apply that much pressure, you're going to give up some big plays just because you're going to get leveraged because that's the law of averages. But they were able to do both those things Saturday and make Georgia drive the field, and I think that was big. And, and that's where I think where Georgia's talent disparity came in came into into effect because I think they also kind of wore Tennessee down. But uh, I mean, you you look at the rest of the schedule. Vanderbilt looks beatable. South Carolina doesn't look as daunting. Uh, they look almost like a mess, really. Missouri uh, on the right day, if you could play good defense, yeah. Missouri will see. Yeah. You know, those are you know, those are games that maybe. And we talked about it a couple weeks ago when some of those teams were looking really solid. And we're like, well, Tennessee's not going to win an, a conference game. A lot's going to change over the next six, seven, eight weeks. So if this team continues to take strides, um, particularly defensively, because I think defensively that's where that's where Pruitt's bread and butter is. That's where. Uh, if he's as good a coach as, as he comes in with the track record of being on that on the defensive side of the ball, that's where he can maybe enact the most change during this transitional mm-hmm. year, even though he's clearly got to upgrade a lot of places on the roster. And I think they've been um, more consistent on defense, yeah, too. Yeah, and, and, and defensively, they've given themselves a chance. I mean, it, it's hard to judge the Florida game because they had so many short fields. And it's going to be interesting to see what, what how they go against Auburn because Auburn's offense is kind of messy right now. Uh, I think they only had 225 yards against 
uh, Arkansas, who's obviously also not a very good team, um, and they didn't get to 350 against Southern Miss or, or LSU. So uh, that's an offense where if you're if you have a chance if you play really well on defense in that game, you can give yourself a chance to you know keep it low scoring and to be in that game. But uh, if they continue to make strides, that you know that's that's the key that you talked about earlier, Wes. Is do they continue to get better because? Uh, that's what they're going to have to do if they're going to make a late push to get to six wins. If I'm Tennessee, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm happy to see that Tennessee-Auburn game being played at noon Eastern time. I think that always plays to the hand of the underdog. Auburn's this, such a different place during yeah, the day. And and that, you know, teams can kind of sleepwalk through those early games if they're not not quite ready that morning. So I, I think that's that helps Tennessee in that game, and it well, could be a competitive one anyway. Well, Auburn's boring at day or night, but... <laughs> I, I think that... besides the point. Well, I, I could see this, this Tennessee team... You know, if things stay on track and and by year three or so they've got this thing going pretty well, I could see year two or year three Tennessee looking kind of like South Carolina looked last year where it hung in there on defense and it gave itself a chance. And if it just made a couple plays on offense, it had a chance to win the game. And and that sort of formula that Muschamp followed there at South Carolina, if that's the model. You don't want to be following anymore, though. No, but I mean you don't you don't want it to go Your to, to not where going so hot for big yeah. Oil. But I, I'm talking about the way they built that thing at the beginning. I think was was nice, and and they they played good enough defense with Muschamp calling the shots there. A lot of them to 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 keep teams honest, to make them earn it going down the field, and that gave them a chance to be more competitive early on. And that's why they were until this year sort of ahead of the curve developmentally. Now they couldn't take that next step, and that's obviously their their big problem, but. Overall, I, I I've seen nothing that makes me think these guys don't have a chance. I, I don't going forward. I I think this team, uh, the the way this program is being built right now, uh, it's still to be determined. But I think overall, it, it I think they're I think the coaches are doing a pretty decent job. I. I People might not believe that, but I look at this and I say, I think they're doing all right. I think it's a pretty well-coached team overall. I mean, again, the six turnovers against Florida notwithstanding, you, those yeah, kinds that, of games happen. Boy, that's a big turd in the corner, isn't it? It I is. I mean, you can't, it's hard to ignore. And, and, hey, two things, because we're still in that point of the season. We just passed the one-month mark of the season. We're still in that point of the year where we're still learning about teams as they get more into conference play. And, you know, just a week later, how much do we think that Florida team is any better than we maybe gave it credit for? They just went on the road and beat a – I thought a pretty solid Mississippi State team. And yeah, Mississippi State's kind of been exposed the last couple of weeks. They might have been, yeah. But uh, it made me wonder because I wasn't sure Florida would win a conference game if it had lost to Tennessee. And, and you now, also, But you also had a Mullen, a coach who recruited right. that entire team basically and knew what it could and couldn't that's, do. That's true. That's true. But, yeah, I, I wonder if we'll look back at that Florida loss and think, okay, I mean, obviously it shouldn't have been as one-sided as it was, but is it maybe not as bad of a loss as it looked at the time? It, it'll be interesting to see how that looks in hindsight, but uh, I think the performance will make it always a bad loss. Yeah, well, probably. It'll always be remembered I as mean, the sixth turnover. Yeah, game. yeah. I'm just saying the fact that you lost to them, period. We thought it may, may have been a huge missed, missed opportunity because Florida might have been their best shot at an SEC win. Now I would say Vanderbilt's clearly their best shot at an SEC win because I think Vanderbilt's been kind of exposed the last two weeks. Yeah, and Vanderbilt typically as the season progresses, and I think you'll see this a little bit with Kentucky too, even though that team's been impressive so far. Yeah, those programs tend to falter a little bit late in the season because Kentucky's they don't a, have the depth. Kentucky's got a defense, but that's that's a good point. They don't have the depth, but Kentucky's got a defense it, this year, which is different. And that'll be a game for Tennessee that they'll they'll have just played Charlotte, and Kentucky mm -hmm. will just play Georgia at home. That'll Very be a really big. emotional game if yep. they're uh, still in the mix there. They got to go to A&M this week too, so uh, a lot can change, a lot's going to change, but Kentucky. But, like, it's just – if you're a Tennessee fan, I think the performance more so than the score gave you more – just a little bit of hope. Yeah. Hey, you know, we can we can compete with some of these teams if we – you know, you, you see some progress. And, and and going back to coaches and, you know, do the fans think – fans always think they know more than coaches. It's just kind of <laughs> – it's just – it is what it is. It's Everyone thinks that here, uh, elsewhere, all around the country. Maybe not Alabama. Yeah. Uh, but then again, when they had Lane, everybody thought, you know, run the ball, Lane. Right. Yeah, so, you, you, you can get a pulse of things. Like, uh, and again, I, our people who, who are with us on GoBoss247.com and the people who are on social media, like the real active, like super emotional people, those people, they can be really smart and they can also be extreme because they're the most extreme parts of the fan base often. What I've found is that I have a few friends 
Uh, here we live in Knoxville. Obviously, we're surrounded by Tennessee fans. I got a few friends who aren't huge on social media, but they really are, you know, football fans and or basketball fans. And I go to them, and I kind of get a pulse for where things are with them. What does this? Because I consider them like almost average Joe Q Vols fan. And I ask them, and a couple of the ones that I've talked to since that game said, you know what? I thought I thought Saturday was better. I, I thought, you know, I can I can circle I can I, I can kind of root for that team. I can I can keep hoping that team. And, and I. And I hope people can think whatever they want. I don't care. I mean, that's you're right. You do. <laughs> I think how I think. Everybody else thinks how they think, and that's 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 great. We have we have freedom to do that. But I, I don't. I hope people see things that way because I think if you see this team through the proper lens, it becomes a lot less frustrating, and you can see things going. You can see why things are going the way they are. Well, that that leads me to the to the thing I think we've got to discuss on the way out here. You know this team, and to answer your question earlier, I do think Wes, this team is about what I thought it was going to be. But Jeremy Pruitt, you know, whether he's just trying to light a fire under his team or whether he really has seen a change, his emotional show on Saturday after the game, I think he didn't cry for the record. Yeah, um, and that was some people apparently think that he cried. I don't, yeah, they must have seen tears that were visible. I don't know. But yeah, his 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 display of emotion there after Saturday's game, I think, it's, which has obviously been talked about a lot, it it certainly suggests that he has seen a difference in this team and that he's seen a buy-in and belief and an, and a level of effort that's a good sign. Now that's something to, to to latch onto in a season like this where you're looking for the small victories. You know what that that showed to me that that showed that he has both sympathy and empathy with those guys. And I think that was something I, I think as much as anything the the most important thing I took from that was that he understands what these guys have been through. He's seen a little bit of it now and now he's probably in his head started to extrapolate that and think, "Wow, this has been going on for a while with these guys." These guys have been through a lot. He's probably talked to the players. He's gotten to know some of them. He's heard more of the stories. He's talked to people around the program. And he has. Like, I've sp- spoken with people, you know, like in the physical plant, people with the grounds crew, those kind of things. And and they all seem to like Pruitt. They say if you give him an honest day's work, he'll appreciate you. And I think, to me, that emotion from Pruitt showed that he does understand what his players have been through. And if he can be on that wavelength with them, I think that will help him – understand what he needs to do to coach this out of them and get them better. Well, I, I think the the player response, both from Tennessee's players and some of from Pruitt's former players in the past couple of days have sort of um, underlined that whatever the public or the population thinks of, of that moment and that show of emotion is, I mean, what that that reaction doesn't matter. That What matters is the players. And I think it was telling that Calvin you know, you Ridley. See, yeah, you see guys like Calvin Ridley come out and, uh, say that Pruitt's going to get it right. You see, um, Mac Wilson at Alabama. They're going to have such a big bro hug when he gets when, when Wilson yeah. when Alabama oh, yeah. comes up here because uh, he and Pruitt are, are, are pretty close. And, and Wilson had something to say about that too, just how uh, Pruitt's passion for the game and the passion for his players. And that's something that Daniel Batuli talked about after the game when when I asked him about it, is that you can you know this team kind of has gotten an understanding now of, of how much just Pruitt cares about the game of football and, and about his players. Uh, and it was interesting to see, you know, Pruitt shaking hands and, and talking with some of the players he recruited to Georgia after the game. Yeah. And, and there were, you know, I think even pregame, he made some rounds and saw some people that he probably remembered from his time coaching there too. So didn't look like, uh, didn't look like, didn't look like a big meanie pants, did he? No. And I think it's, you know, that narrative uh, was so dumb. Yeah. It was just dumb. I'm glad that wasn't discussed much Saturday. Maybe it wasn't the TV broadcast, but I, I didn't hear it. I really like Jake Rose's answer about it when we did the Better Know a Foe thing that we do yeah. every week when he basically came out and said, he goes, listen, I think, he goes, I don't know if Pruitt would say this on the record, but I bet if you got Pruitt off the record and you asked him, he would tell you that there's a couple things at Georgia he wished he'd done differently, but that he grew from it and mm-hmm. that he's a better person because of it. I thought it was a really good answer, and honestly, I think it, it, it could have been the truth, too. It sounds to me like – it convinced me a little bit because of the way he worded it that I, I think he said, listen, he goes, I know Pruitt a little bit, you know, dealt with him for some different things. And I didn't think he was a bad guy. I think he was just rough around the edges. And I think he admitted that he did some things that he wishes he hadn't done, but it, he it, learned from and it. And there were still some prominent media outlets down there that were pushing that narrative that, that Pruitt's a hothead and, you know, assuming that people don't change and, you know, develop over uh, as, you know, as people over the course of years or develop in certain jobs. So, um, but yeah, it, it was telling that I think he, you know, there was that reaction after the game, and I think Pruitt also 
uh, before the game, there's probably a lot of people there that, you know, behind the scenes people that you wouldn't think of that probably remember him. And, and like you talked about with some, you know, grounds crew and people like that, that probably remember him and probably liked him from when he was there. And, yeah. and Georgia should be thankful for him because some of the stuff that he pointed out that was missing in that program is now no longer missing. Yeah. And yeah. you've got that edge to the program now that, that they didn't there, that they kind of lost there under Mark Rick at the end. And, and you heard Pruitt talk about that, too. He talked yeah. about the way that that Georgia team does everything the right way and the way that it tries to take away your will but because, because of how tough and physical it is and how much it, it imposes wasn't that itself way on under you. Mark Richter, the yeah, end, for sure. I, I wonder if I, I wondered if this would be kind of a fun rivalry between Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart. It still might be in the coming years. It's different I this year. I still don't think they're sending each other Christmas cards. No, no. It, it's This year, you still... I think you you look at it differently just because you know where both programs are. You know Georgia's got it rolling now, and that Tennessee is a long way from being there. But at the same, on the same, along the same lines, I didn't think we would hear Jeremy Pruitt speak in such tones of admiration, I guess, about that Georgia team. But he very yeah. clearly said this program is what we is basically a lot of things we aspire to be. And and I bet he goes out there on the recruiting trail immediately, and then says, "Hey, by the way, guys, uh, you're you're not going to play for that team for two or three years. You can come here and play right now. Exactly. Now, hey, I got to respect him. I respect him. Yep. But you want to play, son? Why don't you come here? Yeah. So uh, so that that was interesting. And and yeah, I I did think he spoke with a lot of uh, uh, reverence, I guess, about his time in Athens. How how much I think maybe in hindsight it meant a little more to him uh, than I might have thought. Uh, at least when he got to Tennessee, that he. He really it, it did mean something for him to go back to Athens, and he said he had a, had a good couple of years there. And, and he and, and something else that I think uh, part of his past helped Tennessee on Saturdays. He he was familiar with with Georgia a little bit. Recruited too. a lot of those guys. Recruited a lot of those players. Um, I mean, it was not that long ago that he was preparing and scouting and game planning for a Jim Chaney offense with Jake Fromm at, at quarterback, and so. Uh, and, and Kevin Shear was on that staff last year too, going up against that offense. Tracy every day. Rocker Tracy knows Rocker. that personnel. Um, and there's a, and this Auburn game is going to be a little bit like that too, because Pruitt's played against him, or coach. I'm not played. I guess he did play against him back 25 years ago. Yeah. But, um, he's coached against a Gus Malzahn offense. Uh, Shear did at Georgia. Staff has, yeah. Uh, and, and so, obviously, none of the players have seen it, so they don't know. They don't know what to expect. But this coaching staff, again, if if you're Trying to find reasons for hope in that Auburn game, I think that's that's one too that you know we saw Pruitt can have a pretty good game plan for a, an offense that he sort of knows a little bit more than maybe his team does, and uh, you could see the same against Auburn as well. Not that it might matter because Tennessee, I don't know how they're going to move the ball on that, on that defense, but yeah, on that defensive line. But yeah, that defensive line's got some. Hope it's not another fourteen twelve abomination like it was in two thousand. As long as, long oh. as it's nothing like that the was fourth, a crime against humanity. Yeah, the fourth quarter of that game was one of the most excruciating games I've covered to see what something like seven possessions in plus territory where but I was neither in the team scored and barely stayed awake. Yeah, it was. Uh, that might have there might have been other reasons for that, but we're not going to discuss that. That was that was one of those games early in the year where you kind of said, "Man, if this continues, Philip Fulmer's really in trouble." It was a couple year a couple weeks before it really started with the South uh, the South Carolina game was you know the final. The final blow in a lot of ways, but that, but the, the Auburn one kind of started where you said this offense is ugly enough; it, it's going to get Philip Fulmer fired. So let's hope it's not quite like that game was. I think that makes sense. I think that's probably a good place to leave this thing off, don't you guys? Sure. Do we? I mean, I've started the music, so it's it probably late. should be. There's no turning back now. A couple of quick housekeeping items before we get out of here. I will be uh, speaking next Thursday night, I believe. Uh, I'll get you more information on that for during the Hoops podcast, but I'll be speaking Thursday night in Birmingham to the Tennessee alumni group there. If you want to swing on by, I'll get you that information uh, later in the week, or you can come to us on social media and ask about that. Is, that, is that open to the public or membership-only kind of deal? I believe anyone can, can swing by. We're going to swing by and heckle you. Well, no, because you're not going to be there. That's you're you you're still going to be in Knoxville That's at that what point. You think. And they'll swing on down to Auburn after that. And also, I think uh, next week I'm going to uh, come down to Chattanooga on Tuesday and speak at a uh, social media conference summit thing there. So if you are bored and live in the Chattanooga area next Tuesday morning, come on by there and uh, come see us at the summit. You, a panel discussion. At least you don't have to worry about missing any Cubs playoff games. You know, we don't know at this point. We're recording this before the game tonight, so tomorrow I'm either going to be, uh, or today I guess I should say Wednesday morning when you get this, I'm either going to be in a really great or really, really horrible mood. 
Do you remember that time on Twitter you were like, hey, the Brewers can't beat the Cubs? Yeah. All takes exposed really got me on that one, didn't they? Oh, that was bad. <laughs> that was up to like 7,000 likes or something this I morning. Looked, I, I looked, think I'm really popular in Milwaukee right now. I looked in your mentions, and it was all people from Wisconsin. I was like, yeah, those are the worst. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of cheese curds angry with me right yeah, now. Yeah, a lot of people sure. that don't know you from Adam that are just like calling you all they sorts are, of names. Well, the people who do know me. God bless. Well, Twitter.com. Say those things. But, guys, we are on uh, – you can go to the website, goballs247.com. Uh, you can sign up there and, and get this sort of banter all the time for less than the price of a mediocre lunch every month. Great deal. You should do it. Or if you want to keep being a freeloader, we have stuff there for you on the website as well. Uh, you can go to twitter.com slash govals247, facebook.com slash govals247. You can hit us up on social media also. It's uh, twitter.com slash westrucker247. Uh, Ryan Callahan's on Twitter at Ryan Callahan247. Patrick Brown's on Twitter at pbrown247. And as always, Grant Ramey does not love working with us apparently doesn't <laughs> isn't proud of the company so he is just grant ramey on twitter.com so you can go to twitter.com slash grant ramey if you want to uh, be rude to him because he deserves it because he's a terrible human being so um, on that note guys thanks for listening we will be back that terrible human being ramey now will be here coming to you friday morning with the hoops podcast and uh we'll see you next week enjoy the bye weekend guys Pat, any final thoughts? Go Braves. Chop, don't stop. Go Cubs, go America. <laughs> <laughs>